preaching, we accept amens. This morning we're asking us accept, well, yeah, that's also an acceptable response this morning because uh, clearly that's a good thing to say. Grab your Bibles. Romans chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you're visiting, there is a pew Bible in front of you and the page numbers in your uh, order of worship this morning as we uh, start a new sermon series this morning, Romans chapter 1. So we're actually going to be looking at por- portions this morning of Romans 1 through... <coughs> Romans chapter 1, 1 through 17. I just want to read the first five verses to start, and then we're going to hop around as we go through the, the passage this morning um, as, we, um, as we get into this message. So Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5 uh, as we look into the Word together. It says there, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. This is the Word of the Lord. So we're starting a new sermon series this morning, and we are in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be going through Romans 1-8. through And the sermon series title is The Greatest Gospel Explanation Ever. And let me be real clear. I'm not saying these sermons are the greatest gospel explanation ever. What I'm saying is, Romans 1 through 8 is the greatest gospel explanation ever. Now, the resurrection accounts are important. There's other parts of the scripture that are important. But Paul, an incredible theologian, an incredible writer, and a brilliant mind, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, in Romans 1 through 8, he lays out, okay, so here's what salvation means. Here's what salvation looks like. And he, he lays out in detail um, what all the, the details are. In fact, he's so deep here, and we're going to do this in seven sermons. We're just going to kind of hit the high points. It is not at all unusual for preachers to preach Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 8 and take 50 or more sermons because there's so much depth. You can literally, every couple verses, there's something you can just drill down on and spend a whole sermon there. We're going to just hit the highlights and try to get the big picture of what he's talking about when he's talking about salvation. And so, as we dig in this morning, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17 is kind of an overview. And in fact, if you have your sermon outline, that's where we want to start this morning as uh, as we dig in together. We're going to start with kind of the big picture. The end result of salvation. This passage tells us what salvation is going to produce. Then the following chapters tell us how it happens. This passage tells us what salvation is going to produce. So basically what we see here is in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. This is, for lack of a better term, if we want to use a modern term, this is kind of a mission statement. Paul is starting out, we're going to summarize it this morning, to say, all right, now this is where we're going to go with this, and I'm going to get into the details here in just a second in Romans 1, 18 and go from there. But here's the mission statement. Here's what God is trying to produce, and, and here's how He's going to interact in your life to make that happen. And it's important that we understand as we get started where exactly God is trying to take this, because a lot of times um, we can end up with religious ritual and we can end up with uh, you know religious habits that don't point back to the original purpose of why God brought salvation. You can show up for church, but never worship. 
you can read the Bible, but never grow. There's a lot of ways that we can get off track of the original purpose. I, I was reading the other day, I think it was back in 1925, the first time they did what today is known as the Iditarod uh, up in Alaska. It was not just a, a race you know, to see who could finish the quickest, but there was a... Um, there was a crisis. There were a bunch of kids sick in, I believe it was Nome, and they had to get the um, the vaccines over there very quick. And so they, I think it was to a train to a certain town, and then they had these series of, of mushers that were going to, with their dogs, get that vaccine over to where it needed to be. I think it was something like 117 hours, 127 hours, a record that's never been beaten, that they got that from there to there. And the original purpose of the Iditarod was not, hey, let's just go run around with our dogs and see what we can do. The original purpose of the Iditarod was, we need to save these children's lives. And when it comes to salvation and church stuff, a lot of times, you know, I, I go to church every week, and okay, that's not the point, is it? Like, it's great that you come to church. I'm glad everybody's here coming to church this morning. But coming to church is not the point. The point is for us to become like Jesus Christ. And so as we do that, we need to make sure that we understand what exactly Paul is, is alluding to here in what God is trying to do in our lives. So let's dig into this this morning and see what we can learn. We're going to uh, talk about the big picture, and then we're going to uh, get down into some of the other details that he gives us. So what salvation produces? What it produces is this, faith that results in obedience and righteousness. Faith that results in obedience and righteousness. So that probably wasn't the sentence you were expecting, but this is a really important idea because it gets to the core reality of what God is trying to do in our lives. There's two verses that bring this out, verse 5 at the end and verse 17. So let's look at these two verses and then we'll unpack the terms that it, it gives there. Um, Romans 1.5 says, uh, Through Him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles, so let me pause here. So he's saying, okay, now all the stuff God has done, he's, he's uh, done all that so that we can, he's emphasizing the Gentiles here, although the Jewish people also need to be saved, um, to something. In other words, here's the end result we're hoping to produce. Here's where we're hoping to go with this. And look what it says. To the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So there is a faith that He wants to have in our lives that is going to produce obedience. Now, I want to unpack that more in a second, but hop down to 17. Let's talk about the second one as well. In verse 17, it says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So in verse 17, we are told again, <coughs> it mentions this idea of faith, and it says that coming out of that, there is a righteousness that's going to show up in our lives through that. So let's talk about those three terms for a moment. So the first one is faith. When we talk about faith here, we're not talking about, well, I, I, I wish that God was in my life. We're talking about a strong belief that what Jesus said is genuinely true. So let me ask you this morning. Do you believe that what Jesus said is genuinely true? That was sad. Do you believe that what Jesus said was genuinely true? Amen? So as we believe that this morning, and as we understand, when we say have faith, we're not just like, well, you know, I think Jesus is okay. 
But I believe that Jesus is who He said that He was. And as we understand that, we grab onto that, and we believe that as we have faith in Him, He's going to bring some changes. We're going to talk about those two things in, in just a moment. He, as He comes into our life, He's going to, as we have faith in Him, I believe in who He said He was. I believe in what He said. And so as I bring those into my life, that, that faith that I have in who Jesus is, is going to produce some things. And so this morning, it is a starting point. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if you're here, if you do believe in Jesus, I want to tell you what that's supposed to produce in your life. If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, i got to tell you, and it's, it's just as simple. I have never met anyone more amazing than Jesus Christ. And as I've read His story, and as I've read the love that He has and the compassion that He has, I, more than, more than any other goal in my life, like, I hope I have enough money to pay my bills this month. I hope all my kids stay well. I hope, you know, all, there's lots of hopes in my life. There is no greater hope because of what I've read about who Jesus is. I have no greater hope in my life than this. I want to be more like Jesus because of how great He is. And so as we understand that and as we receive that in, it becomes something where as we receive that, it's going to begin to produce. But we have to have that strong belief, that faith, in who Jesus is. I told the story before uh, years ago of you know when they were starting Otis Elevators and people wouldn't buy the elevators. There was a like a, a, a World's Fair kind of a thing that the guy that was in charge of that, he set up a, a platform like three stories up with the with the technology he had had to stop the elevator if, if the cable broke. And he got up on top of this board three stories up with all these people watching him and he had the guy cut the rope that was uh, holding that thing up there and it would go down, but because of the braking system that, that Mr. Otis had come up with, it would stop before it hit the bottom. That's a lot of faith in your product, isn't it? Well, here's the thing this morning. We are to base our lives on who Jesus is because our faith is in who Jesus is. Now, as you look at verse 5 there, it tells us that, we read this just a moment ago, the obedience that comes from faith. So as we have faith, it's going to produce something in our lives, and that is obedience. What's that mean? The obedience, it's not a dumb, like, it's not a blind, stupid obedience where I'm just like, I, you know, I'm a robot, I'm going to do whatever Jesus said. But rather, as we understand what Jesus did in dying on the cross for our sins, and then as He gave us His teaching, I want to obey Him because um, I believe that He is the wisest person ever, and I want more of what He has in my life. And here's the key thing. Um, the ability to obey Jesus isn't a burden. It's an opportunity. Because as we go back to what we had before, before Jesus came, as we read through the Bible, when people would try to follow God, they you, know, you read the Old Testament, failure, 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 because they weren't able to measure up. Then Jesus comes, He dies on the cross for our sins, but He doesn't just die on the cross for our sins. He enables us, when we receive Him into our lives, to receive a new spiritual heart and to become a new creation and to have the Holy Spirit within us so that as we go forward, rather than all those spiritual failures before, I now have, as a Christian, because of what Jesus has done for me, I now have the ability to actually follow God. I have the ability to actually obey the teaching of Christ not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is in me. And so as you look at verse 5 there, when it says 
We've received the grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. When you think of that opportunity for obedience, that's not something that we should look on as a burden. We should look on as, okay, through what Jesus has brought into our lives, I now have the ability to actually become more like God. Um, so I had to miss, um, two weeks ago, I had to miss the Christmas Eve service because I had, was just coming out of COVID. And, and um, so, um, so I'm sitting at the house and I'm already bummed, you know, like Christmas, you know, the, the Christmas morning service is one of the biggest of the year right up there with Easter. And then I love the Christmas Eve service. I'm going to have to miss that. So like I'm at home. I'm bummed I don't get to be with you all. I'm bummed I don't get to preach that service. I'm depressed. I'm there at the house. And then Ryan's nice enough to text me. He goes, hey, Chad Pennington's here this morning. I'm like, great. So that, that's just one, because it had been a while since he had been here. But I was thinking about him being here. So if you were, if, if you're one of the kids on the middle school football team, and you're kind of thinking about, okay, I, I think maybe I should do this, or maybe I should do that as a quarterback. And Chad Pennington, not only a great Marshall quarterback, great NFL quarterback, one of the best, like one of the best football minds around, comes up and says, "I want to teach you how to play quarterback. What are you going to do? You're going to be a man. Yes, tell me what to do. I want to know everything that you know because I know you know so much more about this than I do. You have so much more experience. Jesus Christ knows more about life than all of us put together." And so when he comes and says, I'm offering you a chance at obedience, that's not a, oh, I want to do my own thing, but I have to do this instead. It's instead the opportunity to obey and to receive all the good things that he has for us. Which leads us to the last thing. Look at <coughs> verse 17 again. It talks there about righteousness. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That means that God desires us to have righteousness in our lives. What's that mean? I think it's kind of a progression here. So there's a lot of ways you could define it, but let's think of it this way. So let's think of it as structural integrity in our lives. Righteousness means that I am in a right relationship with God. I'm not just forgiven, but, but I'm living my life the way that I should. So the way this progresses is this. It starts by faith. I believe in Jesus. I have a strong belief in what He did. Because of what He does as He comes into my life, he then gives me the ability to obey Him and live a life that is different. To live a life that is like Christ and to live a life that has the joy, the peace, the, the love that Christ has. And as I live that life, as I begin to practically obey, my life is going to be defined by the righteousness of God. Think of um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where He said, you know, when our, our, you can be built on, your life can be built on the sand, or your life can be built on the rock. I was thinking of, I think it was like 2007, there was a, a bridge up in uh, Minnesota on I-35 that um, it collapsed during rush hour. A bunch of people kid, a bu killed, a bunch of people injured. And they went back and they, they were looking at it, and there had been problems with construction. In, in the way that they did it, they didn't build the bridge with the integrity that they should have. And it just reached a certain point where, because of the weight that was on it, it collapsed. I know it all, a lot of people whose lives look like that. Do you? They're building their life based on money and they're trying to find value and worth in money and then they just reach a place where their life collapses. There's a lot of people who are building their life based on popularity. I just want everybody to like me. 
And then there's a point where their life collapses. All around us, we see people whose lives have collapsed for this reason or that reason or the other. When you build your life based on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, your life will not collapse. And so we need to make sure that we go from this faith and we receive the faith that allows us to obey and that obedience is going to produce a righteous, a practical righteousness in our lives. Where it's not only that I'm going to be like Jesus someday when I go to heaven, but He's going to allow me to become like Him now. And therefore, our lives are going to be built on the solid rock. Now, as we think about that, I want to look at four other things. There's a lot more here. But I want to look at a few other things in this passage that help us to kind of flesh out what He's talking about as, this is, as we have this faith the results in obedience and righteousness. Let's go back to verse 2 for a second. <coughs> verse 2 says this. Well, let me read verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Here we go. The gospel he promised beforehand through the prophets in his holy scripture. So the first point in kind of adding more details to this is this. It's a long developing story. It's a long, developing story. So it tells us in verse 2 that this is the gospel He promised beforehand through the prophets. So it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, and He's been promising this for a long time. This is not a, a makeshift plan. This is not something where God was like, oh, I didn't expect that, and so he, He's going to come up with another plan. From, from before the creation, God knew we were going to mess up, and God knew we were going to fall short. And before the creation... He, along with Jesus Christ, made the decision that we were worth Jesus Christ dying for. And so, from the very beginning, there was this plan that as we fell, Jesus would come into the world in order to save us, in order to give us the chance to be righteous, in order to give us the chance to be saved, in order to give us a chance to, to go along uh, with what God desires in our lives. And it's an important thing to understand that this goes all the way back. Because as we understand it, let's go to Christmas again. You know, if I give you an Amazon gift card, that's a nice gift. But like, you know that, you know, I, I went on, ordered it, and it just took a few minutes. And like, it's a nice gift. But when you compare that to in the past, a few years ago, I'll, I'll pick on Ada for a second. A few years ago, Ada gave me an Afghan that was literally like, it's that wide and that tall. Um, because I'm a large person. I need a big Afghan, you know? And so... And it was handmade. And, and when I look at that, and I thought of all the hours that she spent putting that together, that gift means more when you know somebody put that much time and thought into it than a gift where I buy somebody an Amazon gift card. That's a nice gift, but it's not as good as that one that took so much time to bring together. And as we think of what God is doing, this is a story when we get to Jesus, we're fortunate to be on the other side of Jesus <laughs> so that we know what all the, the, the story is. But this is going all the way back to Genesis, all the way through. God has been working in the Old Testament with the prophets, in the Old Testament with Israel, to lead to Jesus Christ coming into the world and the opportunity for us to be saved. And so we need to recognize in how long it's been that this story has been developing. This is the will of God for our lives. Second thing. Second thing is this. Not only... Is it a long developing story? But as we look at verses 3, 4, and 5, it's centered on the Son. It's centered on the Son. Let's look at verse 3. It says there, 
regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. A few words that are really important there. Number one, in verse three, or a couple phrases. Number one, as to his earthly life, he was willing to come and, and to, to uh, live in, in this world as a, as a human being. And then another one that's really important is toward the end there, verse four, <laughs> where he says, by his resurrection from the dead. We celebrate the reality of Jesus uh, dying on the cross for our sins, but it is on Easter Sunday that we celebrate Him rising from the dead because we know the hope for us rising from the dead, the hope for a life beyond this life, lies not just in the fact that Jesus died, but in the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And as we believe that, and as we understand that, we know that our faith is in Jesus. I love the fact that my faith is not in a theory. My faith is not in a philosophy. My faith is is not in um, somebody's writing. My faith is in a person. My faith is in Jesus Christ. I don't follow a philosophy. I don't follow... I follow a person. I follow Jesus Christ. And so, as we think about that, one of the things I love about that is it simplifies things. I'm supposed to do the things that Jesus did. I'm supposed to love the way He did. I'm supposed to uh, sacrifice the way He did. I'm supposed to be the type of person that Jesus was. And as I go forward, it's a very simple standard. The more like Jesus I am, the better off I am. And so we continue to follow Jesus. It is all centered on the Son. Hop down to verse 16. This is need to finish up. I'm running out of time. Verse 16, this is the most famous of the verse uh, uh, verse within this first portion. In verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the to the Gentile. The, um, the third thing is this. It is something to be proud of and amazed at. It's something to be proud of and amazed at. Look at verse 16 right at the beginning. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now sometimes we'll, and this isn't a bad thing, a lot of times we use that in the context of evangelism. Like I'm not ashamed to share the gospel with somebody uh, I'm not afraid to, to share the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And that's a good thing. But I really think it goes beyond that um, to something larger. When we think about it as being something to be proud of and amazed at, there are some times where people, where even Christians get kind of embarrassed of the gospel and you know they don't want people to know that we're Christians or they don't want people to, to, to know that, that, that we believe in Jesus. But verse 16 tells us, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why should we be proud of the gospel? Why should we be amazed at the gospel? We should be amazed at the gospel that God loved us enough to go as far as He did in sending Jesus Christ in order to come into our lives. And we need to be proud of the gospel because as as I look at the person, I'm 54. 
as I look at the person that I was at age 15, and I look at if I had been left without God to the arrogance that I had at age 15 and to the desire for earthly power that I had at age 15, um, I do not think I would like myself very well at age 15. Um, and yet, when I was a teenager, I received Jesus Christ and started to try to walk with Him, imperfectly, but tried to walk with Him. And to the extent today that as I've tried to walk with Him, that there is a peace in my life, and that there is a joy in my life, and that there is love in my life, it is, an, it is not a testimony to how great a person I was is a testimony to how great God is. And so, as we look at our lives and we recognize all that is good that is in our lives comes from God, we need to be proud of the Gospel because we look at that and... Um, and if, let's, let's pick an easy one. You know, if... if um, let's say I preach a sermon on Sunday morning. And let's say... So last week, preach a sermon... Um, the concluding point especially, for whatever reason, that really hit a bunch of people. After service, there were a number of people like, I really needed that. Thank you for that. And so, as we think about it, so let's say I'm standing at the back door there, somebody comes by, I really need that. Thank you for that. And within that, there is no sense in which I should stand and go, hey, yeah, you know, I did some good preaching this morning. I really know what I'm talking about. Why? Number one, it wasn't my message. I was just sharing what God had to say. Number two, I wasn't the one that applied it to your life. The Holy Spirit applied it to your life. And number three, if I'd had my way, I wouldn't be a preacher today. I would have been a lawyer, remember? And so, to the extent that I stood up here last week and I preached a sermon that God used to impact several people within the congregation, who gets all the glory for that? God does. Because it was His message preached with His power through the Holy Spirit by somebody that if he'd done what he wanted to do, wouldn't even have been up here in the first place. God gets all the glory. And so we need to give him the praise, be proud of the gospel and amazed at the gospel because of all that it brings into our lives. But there's one last thing also in verse 16. This is the last thing I want to bring up this morning. It is this. It is, it's the source of spiritual power. It's the source <coughs> of spiritual power. Look at verse 16. This is where we're going to end this morning. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. We just talked about that. We need to be proud of the gospel. We should be amazed at the gospel because of what it does in our lives and what it can do. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Give me an example of that, Jim. What do you mean it's the power of God? Okay, let me give you an example. Uh, so I was talking with, uh, where's Preston? I was talking with Preston this morning. So Preston's involved in the Hero House. Hero House is dealing with a bunch of people who are uh, who are coming out of addiction and, and trying to get trying to get better. And within that, we know that the power to have a transformed life doesn't lie within ourselves, but the power to have a transformed life lies in the power of God to come into our lives and transform us. Preston, how many baptisms did you say the Hero House has had in the last month? The Hero House, the Hero House this year has had 15 or 16 baptisms. Now, the world, let's, like, let's, 
let's be bluntly honest for a second. In the way that we have as a nation treated addicts over the, la of the opioid epidemic, we have treated them as expendable. We don't spend that much money. We haven't spent nearly enough money on them. We have let those that have perpetrated the opioid epidemic get away with it. And, uh, and our efforts to, to help folks have been, um, have not been nearly what it need, needs to be. So our efforts have not been that impressive. And yet, Jesus Christ, every time somebody who's coming out of a mess that the world looks at and goes, your life really isn't worth much anymore, you're just an addict and we don't really want to bother with you anymore. Every time Jesus Christ looks at one of those people, he sees a child of God. He sees somebody worth transforming, somebody worth bringing the Holy Spirit into, somebody worth giving a, a, a new heart, a new spiritual heart to. Why? Because, and, and when that comes into their lives, it, it enables, it gives them the power to go forward. Why? What's it say in verse 16? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It doesn't say to people who have a college degree, it doesn't say to people who make a certain amount of money, everyone who believes, it is the power of God. And so we have the opportunity to have the power of God in our lives through what Jesus Christ has done. And that's true not only for those that, that, um, that come to Him with their lives kind of intact, but also for those that are coming out of addiction or other situations. It is the power of God to transform any so as we think about that this morning, I want to go back, look up at your sermon outline for a second, because I want to finish on this. <laughs> what salvation produces? Faith that results in obedience and righteousness. Here's the question I want to close with this morning. Let's say, let's just talk for a second. Let's, let's presume for a second that you have the faith. You believe in Jesus Christ this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, I pray this morning that you'll receive Him because He's the greatest thing ever. But for those that are here this morning that... Have faith in Jesus. I just want to ask you this as we close. Do you want to be able to obey Him in your life so that it produces the righteousness, righteousness that is from God? Or do you want a faith that allows you to show up Sunday morning, occasionally, hear a sermon, listen to some nice songs, and go on your way unchanged? What Jesus is offering us, what Paul is telling us, is faith in Jesus can allow us to actually follow God and live a life that is righteous before Him. Do you want that in your life? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the clarity of what Paul brings here as we begin this sermon series that that our faith in Jesus can produce a transformed life. Now the question is, do we want that? I pray we do. In Jesus' name. And amen.